Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. It's good to be gathered with you again to worship our compassionate God. My name is Kelton. I serve as one of the elders here at Stafford Baptist Church. Especially if I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you yet, I'd I'd love to greet you after service this morning. We continue in our our service of worship now by hearing God's word proclaimed uh, as we continue our sermon series in Matthew. So please turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, where we're going to be starting in verse 35 and going all the way through chapter 10, verse 15. 9, 35 through 10, 15. But as we get started, please pray with me once more for our hearing and for the proclaiming of of God's word this morning. Let's pray. Father, we are comforted by the, the remembrance this morning that you are a compassionate God. That in your compassion, you did not leave us in our sin, but sent a Savior, a shepherd, as we are helpless, as we are harassed. So, Father, we pray to the same God of compassion this morning that you would, in your compassion, give us grace to hear your word. Give us grace to, to believe it, to rest upon its truths, to obey it. Lord, for our good and for your eternal glory, we pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, what would it take for you to leave everything you love behind and to sign up for danger, disease, deprivation, even the threat of of death? You'd have to have very good reason to make a decision like that. Uh, Really, what do you think, what could possibly motivate you to make that kind of decision willingly? I I think of John Patton, who made a decision like that. In the year 1858, John Patton left his home in Scotland and with his wife set sail to the remote Pacific island of Tana in the New Hebrides. His life there involved constant danger, the The people he went to were cannibals. His wife died of tropical fever soon after his arrival, along with their one-month-old son. He had to to sleep on her grave to prevent her body from being eaten. His life was constantly threatened by people who wanted him dead. He was often sick with fever. People that he loved betrayed him. But John never left. In all, he spent 40 years in the New Hebrides. You might wonder, what what motivated John to leave everything he loved behind and and to face danger, to face disease, deprivation, and the, the threat of death in the New Hebrides? Well, John wasn't a businessman trying to advance a, a lucrative career. He wasn't a soldier defending his homeland. No, John was a Christian sent to the New Hebrides by Jesus to show compassion to the lost and proclaim Christ's kingdom. John was motivated to go out of a sense of compassion, knowing the the suffering of the islanders and wanting to help at great personal cost. Well, you might think that his example is unique, but... It proves the point. 
If compassion could motivate Patton to such great lengths for the good of others, how much more should it motivate us to do whatever we might be called to do for our king? Christ, our compassionate shepherd, has commissioned us, each of his disciples, to proclaim his kingdom. And he has given us all the motive that we need in order to do so. Our passage this morning in the Gospel of Matthew is a demonstration of Christ's compassion, the the motive for his mission. And it's a call for us, his disciples, to be his messengers with similar compassion. Well, as we read our passage this morning, notice with me what motivated Jesus' mission and what should mark Jesus' messengers. Let's read Matthew 9, starting in verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are this. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. In whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. The word of the Lord. Well, let's get our bearings in this passage with the main idea first. What's, what's this passage all about? Well, the main idea is this. We are commissioned by our compassionate shepherd to proclaim his kingdom. We are commissioned by our compassionate shepherd to proclaim his kingdom. This passage shows us that that Jesus' words and deeds are motivated by his compassion for people who are like sheep without a shepherd. And as a compassionate shepherd, he sends out the 12 apostles to do as he has done to heal and proclaim. Though our task today isn't exactly the same as these 12 apostles, we still learn from their example what should mark our mission as his messengers. 
So our two points this morning will follow the questions we considered earlier. First, what motivated Jesus' mission in chapter 9, verses 35 through 38? And second, what should mark Jesus' messengers in chapter 10, 1 through 15? What motivated Jesus' mission and what should mark you as his messenger? So let's start with our, our first question, looking at verse 35. How does God's word answer our first question? What motivated Jesus' mission? Well, the, the first thing you might notice about verse 35 is this passage sounds a little bit familiar. Well, that's because verse 35 is, is nearly word for word exactly what Matthew has already told us all the way back in chapter 4, in verse 23 there. There at the, the end of that chapter, chapter 4, the verse was a summary of Jesus' ministry which Matthew goes on to, to show us in chapters 5 through 9, records of his teachings and his healing, his, his words and his deeds as he proclaimed the kingdom. So Matthew is repeating that line word for word to transition to, to what is next in his gospel account. So this isn't a second round of his, his teaching and healing, but, but a summary of what has come before in, in chapters 5 through 9. You'll remember in those chapters that we've studied that that Jesus' fame has spread like wildfire throughout the district he's teaching in. As he he taught good news about a a coming king and his benevolent reign for all who would submit to him. It was good news about what his kingdom would be like. Blessings for the poor, for the the meek, the pure. It was a, a kingdom marked by righteousness. And the Father's good provision. All the while he demonstrated his authority over over sickness, over self, over storms, over spirits, over sin. He is upending expectations of what the Messiah would be like as he brings in the new. And this, this man proves himself to be the promised deliverer sent from God. Well, all that in... Chapters 5 through 9 in in verse 36, Matthew takes us a step further from what Jesus has been doing. After after summarizing what Jesus has been doing, here he tells us why. What has motivated Jesus to do all of this? Well, there it says in verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. The sight of the crowds, the crowds that have been following Jesus from the very beginning, evoke in our Savior compassion. Compassion is a feeling of of concern or or pity when confronted with the suffering of others, a feeling that, that motivates us to help at personal cost. I think of Jesus' parable of, of the Good Samaritan, the, the story of a, a man who was robbed. Stripped, beaten, and and left half dead on the road? A a priest and a Levite in the story walk by, uh, avoiding the man. But the Samaritan, Jesus explains, saw him and had compassion. What does that compassion look like? Well, his compassion moves this man to to bind up the man's wounds, to set him on his his own animal and bring him to an inn to, to take care of him. At his own risk, at his own expense, who who knows where those robbers were? Who knows how much it would cost him to see this man healed? 
So we see what what compassion looks like. It means literally a, a movement of the bowels. It's a way of referring to what rises up from our inmost being, from our heart. And Jesus? Jesus is the better good Samaritan. His compassion is is perfectly attuned in love to the suffering of others. You know, in in the gospel accounts of, of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, no other emotion is attributed to Jesus more than compassion. Compassion reflects the deepest heart of Christ. Offhand, I wonder if if someone wrote a book about you, about me, what emotion would show up most? Dane Ortland, in his book Gentle and Lowly, observes how, how Jesus proves his innermost heart of compassion, particularly as he heals others. He comments, The dominant note left ringing in our ears after reading the Gospels The most vivid and arresting element of the portrait is the way the Holy Son of God moves toward, touches, heals, embraces, and forgives those who least deserve it, yet truly desire it. The Jesus given to us in the Gospels is not simply one who loves, but one who is love. Merciful affection stream from his innermost heart as rays from the sun. Brothers and sisters, this morning, does, does that match your understanding of our triune and holy God? Especially if you're with us and you're not a Christian, the popular conception is that, that Jesus is the loving one, but the God of the Old Testament is, is holy and, and angry. But the compassion that the Jesus of Matthew 9.36 has is, is the very same compassion that he's always had. The Old Testament prophet of Isaiah in, in chapter 63.7 tells us what this God always has been like. He says, I will recount the steadfast love of the Lord, the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has granted us and the great goodness to the house of Israel that he has granted them according to his compassion, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. Isaiah recounts abundant, steadfast love, great goodness, and compassion. Friends, Jesus, Jesus is not God 2.0, merciful update. He's, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. The, the wrath and, and mercy of God are not at odds with one another. In fact, the, the more you understand God's just anger against evil around us and, and in us, the more you will understand his love and compassion from the same heart. Well, we we have to consider what is it exactly about these crowds that he saw that that provoked our God's compassion. Well, he goes on in verse 36. It's because they were harassed and helpless. 
He describes them with a simile to help us understand. They're like sheep, he says. Sheep without a shepherd. Well, what would sheep without a shepherd be like? Well, well, sheep were, were helpless. On their own, they have no way of defending themselves from predators. Sheep are notorious for following their leader, regardless of how dangerous it might be. Sheep are are prone to wander away from the flock and and on their own get into all kinds of trouble. Sheep, without a shepherd, are in danger. It's like we read in Ezekiel 34 earlier in our service. As as Paul described in the verses prior to what we read, Ezekiel condemns the leaders of Israel. These these people were responsible for for caring for Israel, but were, were failing Instead of strengthening the weak, instead of healing the sick and and seeking the wandering sheep, they ruled them with, with harsh force. They were like shepherds without compassion. Well, so God himself in the verses we read promises to come and, and shepherd his flock with compassion. He says that, that I myself will be shepherd of my sheep to strengthen the weak, seek the straying to bind up the injured. That's exactly what what Jesus, the good shepherd, is doing here in Matthew. Jesus is the shepherd of, of Ezekiel 34. God himself who has come in compassion to care for his sheep. God is, is not cold and distant, but sees and responds to the plight of his people. Not, not only in his ministry is Jesus motivated by compassion, but, but the whole plan of redemption from beginning to end, the, the Father, the, the Son, the Spirit, working to rescue a people in their sin. Evidence of compassion. You know, far more than, than John Patton, who we considered earlier, Jesus, the, the second person of the Trinity, left the glories of heaven far greater than Scotland, to face danger, disease, deprivation, and the threat of death, motivated by, we see here, compassion. And Jesus became incarnate not, not only to heal and, and feed God's sheep, but to lay down his life for those sheep. He is, is what the Passover lamb with, without spot or blemish predicted. A perfect sacrifice for our sins to be our shelter from God's just wrath under his blood. On the cross, Christ our lamb died in our place, receiving in himself what we deserve for our sins, God's just wrath. Now all are invited to come under Christ's care as our shepherd by laying down the rebellion of sin and submitting to his reign as king. But that's not all that compassion moved him to do, as if that wasn't enough. Christ's compassion also prompted our shepherd to teach his disciples to pray in verse 37. Look with me there. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. 
Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, instead of shepherding, he uses the metaphor of a field, a field ready for harvest, with laborers being sent out to bring in the harvest. He says that the fields are are ready to be brought in, but there simply aren't enough people to do the work. Well, by analogy, Jesus is teaching us that that there are many to be brought into his kingdom, but too few to do the work of of proclaiming the good news and, and inviting those to trust in the Lamb of God, the sacrifice for their sins. Well, if it's, if it's true that we need more labors, first then he, he instructs his disciples to pray, to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send more labors into to his harvest. Well, whose harvest is this? Well, well, Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. He is the one who sends the laborers out. And he, he answers that prayer. Some of you with a sharp memory might remember that I preached on these verses in August of of 2019 while you were still looking for a lead pastor. I I picked these verses to preach on because I wanted to encourage you, to encourage you that that even without a lead pastor, you were still in the care of a compassionate shepherd, to encourage you to continue to pray because of the assurance that God sends out labors into his harvest. Well, I I looked up what I said in that sermon, and in that sermon I assured you that in his perfect timing, he will provide. Well, how encouraging is it now to have opportunity to remember that the Lord of the harvest does hear and answer your prayers. That in his perfect timing, he he did provide. And certainly in a way at the time I, I was not expecting. Well... Let that be proof to us this morning. He answers this prayer. And since he has answered that prayer, we have all the more reason to continue to pray for laborers, for Jesus to send out people to work in proclaiming his kingdom coming. So first, he, he tells his disciples, us, to, to pray. But, but second, if, if the problem is that we need more laborers, not only does he teach us to pray, well, he goes on and commissions his disciples themselves to be those laborers. Jesus' compassion motivates not only his mission, but the mission of his messengers as well. That's exactly what Matthew transitions in his gospel account to record next. Now, in, in chapter 10, Jesus sending out his disciples as laborers into the harvest. All of chapter 10 is is his instructions to them before they leave and and go out for a season to labor. Though their their circumstances, the circumstances of those first disciples are are quite different from ours, we, we study them today to learn what should mark our mission as those also sent by Jesus into the harvest. We We too are commissioned by our compassionate shepherd to proclaim his kingdom. So let's turn to our second question in in chapter 10, verses 1 through 15. What should mark, what should mark Jesus' messengers? The the first 15 verses here of of chapter 10 record the the names of Jesus' 12 apostles and, and following that, the specific instructions for their journey as his laborers. 
I think there's a particular challenge with these verses, though. Sometimes when you read the Bible, it it transcends culture and time easily, right? We, We get how to apply the command, do not murder. That makes sense. Right? But, but sometimes it's, it's a bit harder. It's harder to transcend culture and time and circumstances. What are we to do about the command here to take no bag for our journey? Does that mean that Christians shouldn't use purses and, and luggage as we travel? Well, we'll explain that in time. D- despite the cultural distances, these verses do teach us ten marks. Ten marks of Jesus' messengers. Not just for them, then, but still today, for us. Ten marks of Jesus' messengers. First mark, called. Called. Look at verse 1 of chapter 10. He called to him his twelve disciples. Apparently, Jesus had been talking to a larger group of disciples, and from them he calls out his twelve, who he's going to send out in In verse 5, it's almost too obvious to say, but but before you can be sent out, you have to be called in. Before you can minister the compassion of Jesus to others, you must receive for yourself the compassion of Jesus. It is Jesus who is the one who calls and gathers the citizens of his kingdom. He is the one who instructs what his kingdom life is like, not us, to first, called, but second, Mark, equipped. He called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority, authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. To the 12, Jesus calls, he he gives them this authority. And, And notice, these are the very things that Jesus was doing in his own ministry, Jesus had this authority, and he gives it to his disciples. To those that Jesus calls, he he equips them with what they need to accomplish his work. He doesn't call the equipped. No, he equips the called. You and I might not receive authority just like this, but, but every disciple of Jesus, every disciple of Jesus is given gifts by his spirit to serve in his kingdom. And they will look very much like the kinds of things that Jesus did. No disciple in Christ's kingdom sits on the sideline as a bench warmer. Not good enough to be on the starting line. All of Jesus' messengers are called and equipped. But third, Mark, they are, are sent. You see there in verses 2 and and 3, 2 through 4, sorry, Matthew lists the name of of the 12 apostles. There in verse 2 is the first time that they're called apostles, which simply is the the noun form of the verb sent out. The the verb you see there in in verse 5. Apostle means sent ones or, or messenger. So while you and I might not find our name listed among the 12, We're not capital A apostles in the narrow sense. We are messengers sent by Jesus. Proof is in John 17, 18. Jesus praying to God the Father. He says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. 
We too have a mission motivated by compassion. We too are sent by Jesus into the world as citizens of of the kingdom of the beloved Son, going to those who are still in the domain of darkness to bear witness to the light of the world. To be sent, though, doesn't mean to leave, right? These apostles stayed near their, their hometown. Yes, you can think of examples like John Patton leaving Scotland to go all the way to the Pacific. For, for some, maybe you, being sent does mean leaving and going across the world to be a messenger for Jesus' sake. But Jesus still needs sent people here in Stafford. The harvest is plentiful. He needs people on your street at your address. He sends his citizens to your office, to your school, to your neighborhoods. Even if you were born here in Stafford and hope to die here in Stafford, understand that you are now a a citizen of another kingdom and you are sent here as ambassador to another king called, equipped, sent. Fourth mark, seeking. seeking. Jesus continues in, in verse 5 to tell them where to go. Here he tells them not to go to the Gentiles, that would be non-Jews, or to the Samaritans, those who are considered half-Jews. For now, he says specifically that they're to go to the, the lost sheep of the house of Israel, in verse 6. Jesus' mission was focused on, on Israel, and the Jews that live there. Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. As, as Paul teaches in, in Romans 1, the gospel was to the Jew first, and then to the Greek. But, if you keep reading, in time the Jewish Messiah will be largely rejected by the Jews, and his message will go to the Gentiles. In fact, the, the risen Christ will come to these same apostles minus Judas, in Acts 1 and call them his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, yes, but also in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus' mission was to seek and save the lost first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. His messengers too are, are sent to seek and save the lost at the ends of the world, including Now, here in Stafford. You know, Stafford County is is one of the fastest growing counties in Virginia. We're expected to grow by 58,000 people by 2040 in the next 19 years. And if if we hope that that just 5%, just 5% of those people come to know Jesus, ignoring all the people who are already here, just 5% of those new people That means about 150 people being saved every year. Or in other words, enough people to fill an average church or two every year. Brothers and sisters, Stafford Baptist, there is tremendous need and opportunity right outside our doors. In the providence of God, if you live here, you are his messenger to seek 
the lost for his kingdom here in Stafford. Our call, like the apostles here in chapter 10, is is clear to seek the lost of Stafford. And this is something we're to actively pursue, to go to the lost. It's appropriate that your most significant relationships are with other Christians in your family and, and in the church. But I ask, how are you intentionally living to go, to go to the lost? Jesus doesn't here imagine his disciples waiting for the lost to, to walk in their door. No, we're seeking. We're to, to get out and, and make opportunities to ra- interact with those in need of a compassionate shepherd. And as you find them, you proclaim the kingdom. The fifth mark, in verse 7, proclaiming. Proclaiming. In verse 7, he tells them to proclaim as they go, seek the lost. The message that they proclaim is, is word for word what, what Jesus proclaimed, the, the good news of the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven, he says, is at hand. So our message as we go is Jesus' message. It's the message of, of Jesus' good and, and saving reign as, as king in a heavenly kingdom. Our message isn't popular. It isn't comfortable. But it is good. And it is true. So, Stafford Baptist, as you live as Jesus' messengers sent here, the goal isn't just to locate the lost. I found them. Right? It's to find them and lead them back home. It's to tell them first the bad news, that, that they are, like we were, sheep wandering from God in their sin. But to tell them the good news, that there is a compassionate shepherd that can bring them home. In order to believe, people need to, to hear the message of the gospel and be invited to believe it. This has been a recurring theme in our sermons because it has been a theme with Jesus in the book of Matthew. So who is it that you've been thinking about that you can invite to follow Jesus? You. You are the messenger sent by Jesus to bring the gospel to them. In his kingdom, everyone is a messenger equipped with the message of the kingdom. We go and proclaim. I think it's typical to be intimidated at this point. The the point of actually sharing the gospel, inviting them to believe and receive. So I'd encourage you this morning to to ask, to, to ask others to help you be encouraged. To ask your brothers and sisters to help you take the next steps. To remind you what you need to know. Remember what we studied in the Gospel of Matthew about using your your testimony of of how God saved you and how God is continuing to to work in your life. Uh, You might, if if you're looking for encouragement, pick up the booklet we we have on the table over here. One of the, the green ones called, What If I'm Discouraged in My Evangelism? What If I'm Discouraged in My Evangelism? Isaac Adam explores a few reasons that that you might be discouraged and and offers specific encouragement for your evangelism. 
It's a, it's a hopeful reminder of God's promises as we seek and proclaim. Called, equipped, sent, seeking, proclaiming, and now our sixth mark in verse 8, caring. He calls us to, to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. As they go about proclaiming the kingdom just as Jesus did, they are to also heal just as Jesus did. The, the four things that he lists here in verse 8 are exactly what we've seen Jesus doing in the chapters previous. These disciples have been equipped with authority to, to do the same as they go. The, the Bible will go on to teach that, that these particular kinds of miracles were performed by the apostles as a witness to the veracity of, of their message. We, we call them sign gifts, gifts to confirm that, that their message was from God. But with the, the end of the apostolic age, these gifts are, are no longer active. Their message has already been proven by these sign gifts. But, but all that doesn't mean that we're not marked by something similar. These miracles were more than just signs. Yes, Jesus' healings proved that he had this authority. But they were also expression of his compassion for those in need. Though you and I don't perform these miracles, we still act in care for those in need. As Jesus' messengers were not indifferent to suffering, and especially eternal suffering. Jesus calls us to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to visit the lonely, to mourn with the weeping, to pray for the sick as a part of our compassionate mission. These kinds of, of good deeds won't save ourselves. They won't save others, but, but they're a display of the kind of sacrificial love that that Christ has shown us. There are means to open doors for us to, to tell others about the source of our love. We love because he first loved us. So, brothers and sisters, who among the lost can you care for? As a picture of our compassionate shepherd, of his care. The sixth mark, caring. Next, seventh, in verses 8 through 10, content. Content. He says there at the, the end of verse 8, you receive without paying, give without pay. He goes on to say, acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. At the end of verse 8, Jesus reminds his apostles that, that all that they've received, the good news of the kingdom, Jesus' authority, even, even this commission, have come to them at no cost. Their gifts, their grace. So they're instructed to, to give freely. We don't proclaim and care for gain, but because we've been enriched with every spiritual blessing to share with others. In Jesus' kingdom, we, we lay up treasure in heaven where our heart is, not on earth. Jesus taught that it is more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus goes on in verses 9 and 10 to tell his disciples not to acquire gold and, and silver 
or even a bag, tunics, sandals. The, the parallel passages in Mark 6 and, and Luke 9 make it clear that he means for them not to take these along with them. He means don't acquire money and gear for your trip before you go. I think what he means here is, is that they must be content with what they have to forego luxury and comfort on their journey. In 1 Timothy 6, Paul describes those who ignore what Jesus teaches here. They pursue riches rather than contentment. He describes them as as depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment, he says, is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Neither Jesus nor nor Paul are condemning material things or or riches. They're condemning the pursuit of these riches, of material things. Jesus means his messengers to be content with what God provides and to share what we receive freely. We are to be content. But that doesn't mean destitution. There at the the end of verse 10, Jesus says that his labors will be supplied. So eighth, supplied at the end of verse 10. He says, for the laborer deserves his food. You know, later Paul will quote these words from Jesus to argue that the churches should, should pay their pastors. Jesus assures that his messengers can, can leave without these supplies because their work deserves support. The idea here for the apostles is that, that wherever they go, they will be fed, their hosts should feed them. Well, Jesus is not teaching that for all time Christians should depend on hospitality for their meals. No, what he means is that that he will always provide, he will always provide the means for them to be supplied in how he determines. The one who equips, the one who sends, is also the one who supplies. Romans 8.32 says that the, the gift of God's Son is proof that God will graciously give us all things. We will be supplied. But there's more to be seen here. Supplied and, and ninth, discerning. Discerning in 11 through 13. The, the next few verses might not be immediately clear as to their, their meaning. Well, in, in verse 11, it's clear that he means to, to tell them to, to stay with what he calls worthy people on their journey. Then in the next few verses, he describes peace coming and, and returning. Well, in, in their day, they greeted one another with, with shalom, with peace. So he's telling them here to, to give the normal greeting, peace. But if it turns out the house is not worthy, let your greeting return to you. In other words, leave. In, in short, he's saying discern where to stay and when to pack up and move on. Well, what does it mean in Jesus' idea to, to, to be worthy. Well, I, I think verse 14 gives us the clue. If, if someone will not receive them or listen to them, the worthy ones are the ones who do receive them and listen. 
principle remains true today as his messengers. We too are called to be discerning as his messengers. This requires care, but but there may come a time to, to move on when people refuse to listen or receive what we proclaim. This isn't to say that the gospel is, is powerless to save, even when we can't imagine it. But, but Jesus does call us to recognize when a particular effort is, is fruitless, to not belabor it. As Jesus taught in his Sermon on the Mount, do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw pearls before swine. If, if you think that you're in a situation like this, I'd encourage you to talk to other Christians about it. Continue to, to pray about it. It may be that it's time to drop it, to, to move on. Especially if it's, it's a family or a close friend, this, this doesn't mean end your relationship. It just means wait and pray for an open door. But before you move on, our, our tenth and last mark Warning, in verses 14 and 15. Warning. Jesus tells them, as they leave, to to shake off the dust from their feet. It's a way of disassociating themselves from that that town or house. Not just as a symbol, but, but as a warning to them. In verse 15, Jesus tells them that the day of judgment will be worse for them than the towns of Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, those towns that were destroyed by fire from heaven in Genesis 19. The two cities that that in the Bible have become a byword for judgment. Friends, rejecting Jesus by rejecting the message of his kingdom is far worse than anything Sodom and Gomorrah did. As messengers of Jesus, we must warn those who reject him. It's not an issue of of personal preference. One's eternal destiny turns on relationship to him and his message. With winsome words and weeping, we warn of judgment to come on all who reject the compassion of our shepherd. Warning. Well, that's it. The, the ten marks of Jesus' messengers. There was a lot there. So I'd encourage you this afternoon to just, just grab one and discuss it, maybe over lunch. Think of what that mark means for you as, as a witness, as a messenger of our compassionate shepherd. Let me list them again. The ten marks of Jesus' messengers. We're to be called, equipped, sent, seeking, proclaiming, caring, content, supplied, discerning, and warning. Brothers and sisters, Christ is a compassionate shepherd, moved by pity to rescue us, harassed and helpless in our sin. Now all who know Christ as shepherd have been sent by him to show the the same compassion to the lost and proclaim his kingdom. We live each day as an offering of praise as we show the world 
his compassion. Let's pray. Father, this morning we are moved by the compassion of our shepherd, Jesus, who left the glories of heaven, Lord, to heal, to bind up the injured, to give comfort, to help, but more than all, to die. To suffer the death that we deserve so that we might be forgiven of our sin and restored to our Father. Father, this morning we pray that that compassion would move us as your messengers to go and do the same. Lord, that we would live today and this day forth to show the world your compassion. It's in his name we pray all this. Amen.